bad. <laughs> My name is Hank, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm really proud to be here. And uh, I uh, enjoyed Cliff, as I always do. Only he said I was I was going to be funny. I can't be funny after Cliff. You know? And I think I'll just tell my story. <laughs> I used to drink. I thought I'd better throw that in. So right away, you know, I'm not an imposter. Uh, I, my son said I'm just a basic fifth-a-day vodka drinker. But what does he know? He just saw me around the house. You know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that okay? Uh, you know, I'm, I did a little, quite a bit of social drinking during the day while I was supposed to be working. <laughs> and uh, I loved to drink, and I had a lot of fun drinking. Drinking with alcohol was a social lubricant for me. It enabled me to dance and romance and do all the things that normal people seem to be able to do without that stuff. You know, just give me a drink, and I'm, you know, and uh, and keep one coming every now and then, and, and I'm real social. And uh, I uh, I went into a bar when I was 18 years old in California. You're supposed to be 21 then, and uh, I guess it's still the same. But uh, uh, I ordered a drink. They served me. And immediately I became a man. That's what I wanted to be, a man. And a man can order a drink over a bar and be served. And a uh, guy gave me my drink, and I drank it. And I just really felt great. I graduated right then and there. What else is there to learn? You know, if you, you're big enough to go into a bar and get a drink, well, you've arrived. And I felt comfortable in that place. Sometimes I, I, I hear speakers come up and they say, you know, my very first meeting I ever went to, I just felt like I, I just came home. And, you know, I didn't feel that way at all. <laughs> but I sure felt that way at that bar. Man, I knew I was in the right place. I loved it there. And I, I went back every opportunity I had from then on. I was comfortable in that place. I could play the jukebox over in the corner just as good as the rest of the guys. Yeah, and in fact, I thought my selection of songs were a little better than most. And I could sit at the bar and get better looking after each drink. And uh, I just went back every opportunity I had from then on. And I met my wife in a bar. Where else do you meet girls? <laughs> now that I'm sober, I met one in AA. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I met this gal in the bar. I should have been suspicious because she didn't drink. She was drinking a Coca-Cola. So we got married, you know, and, and uh, moved out to a little little place in West Covina, a little track house out there, and, and set up housekeeping and and we got out there, and the payments were $56 a month on that place. And nothing down, of course. And uh, that included taxes and insurance and everything, you know, and uh, interest, the whole shot. And uh, if I had stayed there, I'd have had that place paid for. By <laughs> uh, it was only about a 45-year mortgage, I don't uh, But, I, you know, I had trouble making those payments. Those payments did come due on the first of the month, and I, and you know, I just didn't have the money. I I used my money to drink with, and uh, payments had come due, and I said, well, you know, I just I I'll just won't make the payment this month, and I'll double up next month. Ne next month I'd have to come up with a hundred and twelve dollars plus late charges, and somehow I I'd, I'd make that payment and stiff all my other creditors, and. Uh, if somebody would have asked me, Hank, what is your problem? I would have said money. <laughs> money is my problem. I just, I don't know how I got involved in this work I do. It just doesn't pay enough. If only she'd go to work and help out a little bit, you know. But no, instead she was pregnant. And, and, and she already had a baby by a previous marriage. And Harry, number two is coming and and you know, I didn't start saving for that baby until about a week before it was due. <laughs> and I just couldn't come up with the money. And, and uh, so I went to the beneficial finance company. And I borrowed the money to pay for the hospital, doctor's bills and everything. 
and when my son was born. And uh, when my son turned 25 years old, and I was sober a year or two in AA, I finally got beneficial paid off. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I always had a crisis in my life. And I'd just about get those guys paid off and something would happen. And, 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 and I'd have to go back and consolidate all my bills again. And, uh, some, and I never got enough. I never figured it out. It was never enough to pay all the bills. And, and I, and besides, something would happen to pile that money on the way home. And, uh, and so I'd have to go to the Pacific Finance Company and borrow the rest. And sometimes I'd have a bank loan going too. And, and at income tax time back then, you know, up until a few years ago, you could deduct all that interest uh, at income tax time. You can't do that anymore. And, uh, but I used to wonder, you know, what is all this interest you're paying? Like, you know, what are you buying? Just what is, what is it that you're buying that you're making all these payments? Yeah. And I could never figure it out. I wasn't, I was just making payments. I wasn't buying anything. Yeah. They won't finance hundred dollar cars, you know. And, and, uh, I finally figured it out after I was sober a couple of years. What I did is I financed about 25 years of my drinking. Every time I took a drink, I paid an extra 15, 25 cents uh, interest <laughs> to beneficial finance. And I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. So, you know, my story's got to be the most boring story you've ever heard in your life. You hear such exciting things from the podium and Cliff with his fun thing and on. I'll, I, I said it wrong. Fun. <laughs> now I almost said it like Tad. Gee, you had a lot of fun. Didn't you? <laughs> and uh, but you know, I I hear all these people talk, and it's such. Some of them are so exciting. Some of the stuff some of these guys have done, man, it's just almost hard to believe. You know. And uh, I never did anything. I I just sat around and drank. <laughs> I was going to. I just. <laughs> I just never got around to it. I, my wife kicked me out several times. We got divorced three times. And, and that last time, that was it. And I said, "You want you want a divorce? You got it." I'm tired of these games we're playing. <laughs> By then, we were living in Torrance, South, South Bay Area, near Los Angeles. And and, uh, and I said, uh, you know, you can have the house, you can have the furniture, you can have everything except the old stack of old 78 records that I've got. That, those are collector items, and I want those. And she was glad to get rid of them and me. And uh, And I moved into a little shack in Hermosa Beach, California. And uh, there's a little garage that they had made some living quarters in. And uh, it was a room, like 9 by 12, and uh, 9 by 15, something like that. And it had a bed in it. And uh, and uh, I bought a turntable and 10 speakers from a friend of mine. <laughs> and I, I had speakers in all four corners, behind the drapes, behind the... <laughs> On the couch, in the kitchen, in the bathroom, you name it, I had a speaker there. And uh, a typical day then was to wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm already an hour late to work. Man, I'd wake up with a start. And I'd throw my clothes on, get shaved, get in that car, weave in and out of traffic. I had to get to work. You see, I should have worked yesterday. And I had all these papers in my desk. I had, you know, I had... I had papers in my desk drawer. Some of them were months old. They were too old to turn in. If, you know, if I turned them in, I'd be fired for holding them so long. If I didn't turn them in, I would be fired. <laughs> and uh, and you know that. Uh, and I'd get to work and I I'd check everything out and everything was the same. Uh, and so I'd go to the coffee room and get a cup of coffee and come back to my desk and shuffle papers and make excuses to my customers and and uh, uh, try to look interested. <laughs> and, 
and, and look at the clock and at a respectable time. I'd go to the bar that was conveniently located right next door to where I worked. And they sold martinis over there. And I like martinis. And they sold double martinis during the lunch hour for a dollar. The regular martinis were 75 cents. But during the lunch hour, you could get a double for a dollar. And I figured out, whoever heard of having one martini, you're going to have two anyhow, so you might as well order the dollar one, go save 50 cents. God knows you need the money back. And I, so I'd order the dollar one, and I'd get to sipping on it, and I'd kind of compare my drink against the guy sitting next to me, and he'd have a 75 center, you know. And I'd say to myself, just who in the hell do they think they're dealing with here? This is not a double. It's a little larger than the 75 center, that's all. If it were really a dollar, it was, if it was really a double, they'd be charging more money. You know, this is ridiculous. So I better have another one. <laughs> and then I'd have another one. And then I'd have another one. And then I'd have another one. And then I'd call the office and tell them, I forgot to tell you, I'm going on a lot of calls this afternoon. Take messages. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And I'd head towards the beach and I'd stop and buy the cheapest bottle of vodka was on sale that day and I, I'd get home about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I'm kind of a neat drunk. I'd hang up my clothes real carefully so the creases fall properly, you know, and and my, put my shoes and shirt and tie and everything away, put my pajamas on. <laughs> it'd be like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, and I'd sit on the edge of my bed, and I'd untap that cheap vodka, and I'd take a big, big jolt out of it, several swallows, and and uh, I'd say, "Well, you've done it again today. This cannot continue. You know, you're not the only guy that's ever been divorced. You're not the only guy that's ever been in debt. Why don't you do something about it? All you do is sit around and talk about stuff. You never take any action on anything." And uh, so then I'd put one of those old old 78 records on the turntable, something like Billy Eckstein singing, Who Can I Turn To? <laughs> and then I'd go into my fantasy. But starting tomorrow, it's all going to be different. By God, starting tomorrow, I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock. I'll get down to that damn office by 7. I'll knock out paperwork for a couple hours. When that phone starts ringing tomorrow, I'm going to be ready to do business. And starting tomorrow, a whole new life is going to open up for me. And, uh, you know, I'm not even going to drink starting tomorrow. And, in fact, I'm going to put a big red X on the calendar. And starting tomorrow, I'm going to work 365 days in a row. <laughs> and I, I'm in sales. I can work any hours I want to. And I'm going to work every single day for 365 days, and I'm not going to drink. And I'm going to make, that's, that's, I can't do anything about the marriage, but I'll get squared away financially once and for all. And I'll have so much money at the end of, at the end of that year, it'll just, you know, everything will just be fine. And, and I don't know about you, but I tend to project. <laughs> and I could just see myself at the end, 365 days from now. I can just see how good it's going to be. I'm going to have all this money. All the bills will all be paid. And so I just started celebrating a job well done. <laughs> and I'm thinking about what to do with the money. <laughs> I'll buy her a white Lincoln Continental. I'll drive it up to her house at... You know, drop it off at midnight, one o'clock in the morning. She'll wake up the next and I'll drop a card down the mail slot, you know, and I'll have a, one of these real, real sticky sentimental cards. Beautiful poetry. And I'll put, thanks for all the good years, H. <laughs> you know, not, not Henry or Hank, just H. And then I'll put a gold-plated key in with the card in the envelope, and, and I'll put it down the mail slot. And the next morning, she'll get up, and she'll see that car out there, you know, but she won't think anything. She'll get get her mail, and she'll open the, the 
one with out a stamp on it, she'll go, I wonder what this is. And then she'll read, read that poetry. That sentimental poetry. Tears will just, <laughs> just roll down her cheeks. Yeah. It'll just be excruciatingly painful for her. <laughs> then she'll say, thanks for all the good years. <laughs> then she'll get to looking at that key and wonder what the key Somehow she'll look at that card went out there. White, brand new Lincoln Continental. She'll, she'll, then she'll put it all together that that's her car. And then she won't think I'm so bad. Then she'll be sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, but I, I just love giving those expensive gifts. I, I just feel so good after I give them. You know? And uh, I look up at the clock and it's a uh, quarter to eleven. It it can't be a quarter to eleven. I just sat down on the edge of the bed. Can't be that late. You know. And uh got to be something wrong. I call the operator, check the time. <laughs> quarter to eleven. Jeez, I can't believe this. You know. And I, then I realized I was almost out of booze. So I'd, I'd throw my clothes on over my pajamas and I'd run two blocks to the liquor store. And uh, get the guy just as he was closing up. That's when I first started jogging, about that time. And, and, and I'd get there just as he was closing up. Bottle of Smirnoff's. I always bought the better brands right around where I lived. I wouldn't want anybody to think I was cheap right there in the neighborhood. And I could stroll back to my shack with peace and contentment and security for the rest of the night. And I'd go back and... and uh, play some more of those old records and and reminisce about the good old days that turned out after I took my fourth step they really weren't all that good and but I kind of thought they were at that time and and uh and then I started rehearsing the speech I was going to have to give because I knew I was going to be salesman of the year and somewhere in there I'd pass out and I'd wake up the next morning at 10 o'clock <laughs> Throw my clothes on and weave in and out of, you know, get to the office, check everything out. Everything's the same, you know. And, uh, jeez, you know, I didn't do that once or twice. I did, I did that hundreds of times. And I don't know how I kept that job, really, except that somehow, towards the end of the month, the boss said, well, no, are you in sales here? And, and I'd say, yeah. And he says, well, how about, how about making a sale? And I, <laughs> And I say, well, don't worry about a thing. I'm a fast finisher. And I was. And I really would work around the clock then. And I always made my quota. And every year, they gave me a plaque, you know, with my name on it. Outstanding salesmanship and product knowledge and all this stuff. For eight drunken years in a row, I won a plaque every year. And then I got sober. And then I didn't win a plaque for eight years. What happened to me is, is I got spiritual fast. You know, I just loved this program. Once I got into it, geez, I just loved it, you know, and I, and I got spiritual. And, uh, this is a spiritual program, you know, I say. And, uh, uh, and I did. I got so spiritual that I almost sailed off into the blue. <laughs> and, uh, and I walked in the office one time after two years of sobriety. Almost two years of sobriety, I walked in the office and the boss said, you're fired. Fired? You gotta be kidding. You know, I've got an outstanding sales record with this company. He said, not lately, you don't. And I said, well, I said, I'm gonna go over your head. I'm not gonna take this from you. I'm gonna go to the regional manager. And I went to the regional manager and I said, you know what they wanna do down at the branch office? They wanna fire me. Can you believe that? Me, with my outstanding sales record. And, uh, and I said, you know, what they don't know down there is that about two years ago, I completely changed my life. I quit drinking. And uh, I said, they don't know that. I didn't tell them, you know. And, uh, and I said, and I've been going through some kind of an adjustment. And, and I said, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm trying to become, I'm trying to, Make it with my wife again, my kids, and all that, and 
and uh, I try to pay my bills on time and become a citizen in the community again. And, and, uh, and these guys want to fire me. And he says, Hank, I had no idea that you had a problem with alcohol. And he said, I wish you a lot of luck. I hope everything works out okay with you and your wife and child, kid and all that. He says, but he says, I can't make them keep you down there. He says, if they don't want you to work there, he says, I, I can't make them keep you. He says, but you claim to be a salesman. Why don't you just go to transfer to another office? You sell yourself to another office. You know, we got 80 of them. And that's what I did. I transferred to another office. And about that time, my sponsor got to me. And he said, Hank, he says, you just don't seem to understand this program. You don't have much of a grasp of the program, is what his exact words were. And, and, uh, and I, and he said, you know, some people, he says, after a while, they get so spiritual that they really, they get heaven, they get so heavenly, they just become of no earthly good at all. <laughs> and he said, that's what's happening to you. He says, and he pointed out that in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, it states in there that it's okay to have your head in the clouds. But we need to keep our feet firmly planted on the ground. That's where our fellow travelers are, and that's where the work is to be done. And uh, I've tried to keep that in mind ever since. And it's okay. You know, and I'm fine. And, uh, but uh, my wife moved back with me through a series of bad breaks, right? And misunderstandings. See, uh, she moved back with me before we got sober. And, uh, and uh, my son, too. And then, uh, before we quit drinking, and, and uh, uh, I'd come home, and, you know, I'd go to work late and come home early. I'm sitting there in my pajamas, drinking and playing records, and here comes my son home from school. It'd be 2.30 in the afternoon. And I'd say, you know, I don't know who the hell you think you're kidding. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. School doesn't even get out until 3. And you're already home. And I'd stand there in my pajamas <laughs> with a bottle of vodka in my hand, and I'd ask him, how the hell do you ever expect to amount to anything? <laughs> you know, if you, if you can't, you know, if you can't apply yourself in this world, my son, I'm, I'm really worried about you. You know, I just, I don't know what to do, you know. He'd shrug, he'd look at me funny. He always had four or five guys with him, and they all looked at me funny. And, uh, and they went off surfing or whatever they were doing. And and, uh, and I went back into my drinking and playing records. And then my wife would come home, and, and we'd have our first drink of the day together. And and, uh, and she uh, uh, she didn't have any capacity at all. And, uh, you know, it was my 20th and her first. And, and uh, I'm a kind of a grouchy guy if I'm not drinking I'm not all that happy I don't care to meet you at all really that's the truth and uh, I, and uh, but uh, give me one drink and I don't care who you are you're the most interesting person I've ever met in my entire life I want to hear your whole story I'm prepared to sit up all night with you and hear your plans for the future as long as we've got booze I'm right there with you all the way and on the other hand, she was a very friendly, outgoing person when she didn't drink. But when she took one drink, as she was finishing that first drink, you know, all the pent-up emotions and hostilities of a lifetime had come out. And her, you could just see her personality change. And, uh, and we would just exchange personalities. Right? <laughs> and we could never drink successfully together. We always fought. We could never drink together. It was just impossible. We never, ever had a good time drinking together. And, uh, in fact, I used to tell her, you know, some people just can't drink. <laughs> You're one of them. They just, you know, and she used to get mean. And she, and she used to break my record just because I'd want to play them more than once. I don't, I don't know about you, but I'd find one of these old records and and geez, I haven't heard that one for a long time. I put it on the turntable. Jeez, what a great song. I'd play it again. Then I'd play it one more time. And then again and again. You know, it just drove her crazy. Sometimes I just get hung up on a trumpet tune. 
I don't know if you've ever done that or not. I, you know, I just lay that needle in there. Keep up, man. You know, <laughs> get the needle, put it back there. Keep, you know. <laughs> just, she finally one time just went over to the phonograph and just took the arm and just bent it up. <laughs> I couldn't play any more records that night. And uh, that's the way we live. And uh, only were a lot worse. And uh, it was just one fight after another. And uh, and one night, particularly night, I I told her that you know I allowed you to kick me out of all those houses. And uh, I said, uh, but I said I moved here first. Therefore, you go this time. And I'm going to go to my brother's house and stay all night with him. And uh, when I come back tomorrow morning, I expect you to be out of here. That's more time than you ever gave me. And I went to my brother's house, my good brother's house. I had three of them, but I went to my good brother's house. The guy that you can knock on his door at 2 a.m. And, and he'll open it and he's got something in a brown paper bag. He'll pull you right in, you know. Welcome you. And uh, we sat up all night and philosophized. And, and uh, um, about everything but women in general and, and uh, seemed that he had married a loser too and uh, and, uh, and while I was doing that my wife decided to commit suicide and that wasn't her first attempt but before she did that she went into the closet where my clothes were hanging in a blackout. She was in a complete blackout and just took a knife and slashed every stitch of clothes I, I that I owned you know, and ripped up my shirts and cut the pant legs off my pants and, and just cut my ties in half and stabbed my damn shoes even. You know. and, and then she went out in the living room and pulled the drapes off the off the windows and tried to put them around the doors and the windows tried to make the place airtight and broke all the lamps and all the all the phonograph records and just destroyed this little place that we lived in and and uh and she turned the gas on the kitchen oven and went to bed and uh next morning she woke up <laughs> and uh you know that old place we lived in that old garage it was a half a block from the ocean most of the beach and the wind used to whistle through there you could have turned the gas on ten of them and never, never even smelled it in there. and she survived but she woke up and, and she looked around she had been the only one that stayed there that night and she looked around and she couldn't believe what she had done you know and she knew she had done it but she didn't remember doing it and it just frightened her and uh, just before that we had started back to group therapy you know, couples workshops. This was we went to group, we went to therapy, private therapy, and group therapy, and couples workshops, and everything for years. And this last one was a couples workshop, and that's where married couples go and cop out on one another. And uh, and she used to tell them, the whole group, about six people there, you know, about how. How, why don't you tell him how you drank a fifth of vodka before I came home from work? And I, why don't you tell him how you finished the second one after you got home? Yeah? And I just come out of those sessions with my guts on fire. I hated it, you know. And this guy said, you really drink as much as she says? I said, yeah, I do. I drink a lot. Who wouldn't? I said, <laughs> Like I, I'm the worst wife you can possibly have. I, I got two of the worst children you could possibly imagine. And I said, I got a pressure job. And, you know, and I just can't. So I drink. You know, I'm not hurting anybody with my drinking. They, they've never missed a meal. They've always had a decent place to live. They've always had clothing, they've always had food, they've always had medical care, braces on their teeth, whatever it was they needed, they had it. So I drank, you know, but they're not suffering. Anymore. And uh, he said, have you ever thought of quitting? And as a matter of fact, I, I have, and I did. I thought about it every night. You know. <laughs> Starting tomorrow, I'm not going to quit today and tonight. But And uh, in fact, my boss had a plaque in his office that said, Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And I used to look at that plaque and 
You got that wrong. Tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow. Yeah. I'm I'm sick today. I need, I need I need a few drinks. I, I'm sick about starting tomorrow. I'll be right. Again. And so he asked me if I ever thought of quitting. And he said, and, and I told him, yeah, I thought of it. He said, have you ever thought of going to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous? And I said, forget it. I've already been to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had gone to a meeting a couple of years prior to that. And, and, uh, and it was a meeting in California. They, they give the chips, well, we're not down south, right on. Uh, in Charlotte, they give chips at the end of the meeting. And, but in Southern California, at least the meetings that I went to, they were given before the beginning of the meeting. And at that meeting I went to, they said, is there anyone that had just finished their first 30 days of sobriety? If so, come up and get a chip and say a few words. And here comes this guy up, you know. My name's Joe Blow, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm really proud to get this chip. And I know this is a spiritual program that I found God when I walked through the doors of the And it's the lights in the eyes of the people that just turn me on and keep me coming back to these meetings. And I just love everybody. Just before I came to the meeting tonight, I got a call from my employer. He's made me general manager down at the plant. It's a wonderful, glorious way of life and these 12 wonderful steps. And for all you newcomers, Keep coming back. We love you. I thought, oh man, I was just uncomfortable with that. And and then, anyone else? And here comes this lady running up, you know, and little old lady, and she and she gets this thirty-day chip. My name is Mary Smith, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm really proud to get this chip. I know this is a spiritual program. I found God when I walked through the doors of AA. The lights in the eyes of the people. That just turn me on and keep me coming back to these meetings, and I just love everybody. In fact, hate is no longer a word in my vocabulary. I love everybody, not just the people in AA. I love everybody in the whole world. And uh, you know, a short time ago, when my children looked at me, they had fear in their eyes. Now, when our eyes meet, there's a look of respect. And I've noticed lately that my husband is looking at me with renewed interest. And so this is a wonderful way of life here that we have here. And uh, my children were failing in school. Now we're getting letters from all the major universities throughout the United States offering free scholarships. It's just a wonderful, glorious way of life. And, and when I read and wake up in the morning, I reach over and grab the hand of God, and we walk through the day <laughs> hand in hand. And it's just a wonderful way of living. And for all you newcomers, keep coming back. We love you. And I wasn't able to attend the whole meeting that night. <laughs> I, I needed a drink. And I went and got one, or twenty, and, uh, jeez, it scared me, you know? And so this therapist wants to know, I'm going to go to AA, and I said, thanks, but no thanks. I've already been to AA. It's some kind of a spiritual program. It's okay by me. It's some kind of a religious cult or something. I'm not sure what it is, but it's nothing that I'd be interested in, and it's okay if they want to go. And, uh, and so... He put me in touch with a doctor that was going to give me some antibiotics, and I went to this doctor, made an appointment to get some antibiotics, because I told him, my therapist, I said, I'm going to quit. I'm tired of listening to her griping about my drink, and I'm going to quit. And, uh, but I read about some stuff called antibiotics, and I think I'll get some of that, just in case I'm tempted to take a drink. <laughs> I'll pop some antibiotics, and you know, you're not supposed to drink, uh, after, uh, taking that piece, and, uh, according to this article. So, anyhow, I went to the doctor, and, uh, I was told, don't drink for 48 hours prior to going to the, to the appointment. And I got there, and that was the first thing the doctor wanted to know. Is, is it true you haven't had a drink for 48 hours prior to coming here? And I said, that's right. And he said, 
you don't need any. <laughs> well, but if you can go two full days, 48 hours without a drink, he says, you're over the hump. You never take need to take another drink as long as you live, if you don't want to. Scared the hell out of me. And he went on and on and on about the disease of alcoholism and how people that have the disease of alcoholism have character defects. And they refuse to work on their defects of character. Instead, instead of coping with their problems, they drink tonight instead. And they wake up the next morning, they still got all their problems, only now they got a hangover on top of it. And, and they continue to do this over and over and over again. And he told me my story and I didn't recognize it. You know. And I said, well, if you're not going to give me any interviews, then I guess I better go. How much do I owe you? And he said, I can see I'm not making much of an impression on you, so I'm going to tell you something I wouldn't normally tell my patients, but due to the nature of your your appointment here today, I'm going to tell you something. My wife's an alcoholic. He says, we've tried everything. You know, we've tried sanitariums, we've tried hospitals, we've tried anabuse and psychiatry, and we've tried it all. And it all works while you're in the hospital. It, it all works, but she gets out of the hospital, and uh, within a week or two, she's drinking again. And uh, But she found something. She found Alcoholics Anonymous, and she hasn't had a drink for seven months. And that's what I recommend that you do when you leave here, is to go by the Manhattan Beach Clubhouse and buy the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and get a meeting schedule. So you look like you're in good health, you don't need to go to the hospital. But start going to some meetings. And, uh, and he says there'll be no charge for this call. And that's the only thing that guy said that day that impressed me at all. And I, and, but I, I did go by and buy the book and got a meeting schedule and uh, threw him on my dresser. And then we had this thing where my wife committed suicide. And, and we hit bottom. That was our bottom right there. You know, it wasn't a very dramatic thing. You know, but this is the part of the story where most guys will say, well, when we hit bottom, so called AA. And some real nice guy came out and took me to a meeting and everything just been wonderful ever since. And, but that's not the way it worked. I didn't know I hit bottom. You know, I just kept on drinking. And, uh, but drinking wasn't any fun after that. Drinking, that's when my drinking, you know, it was, there was no joy in it then. I wasn't having any fun at all with it. And, uh, uh, and my wife went back to that doctor. She had been with me and heard all of that he had said. And she had asked him if he thought she was an alcoholic. And he said he didn't know, but why didn't she go to some meetings with his wife? She'd be happy to take her. And so that's what happened. And she went to the meetings and to be a good guy, I'd go to meetings too. Occasionally. And I hated it. And those same two people were at every meeting. And I was so damn happy about everything, you know. And, and I couldn't believe it. And, and, uh, but I found out I was an alcoholic. And, uh, and so I, uh, but I said, I can't go to AA anymore. I said, I just can't stand it. I hate AA. I just, you know, I just, I just don't like the people. I, you know, I was afraid I was going to turn into one of you. you know, be just like you or something. I didn't want to be like you. And I wanted to reserve that right to drink. And, uh, and so I said, well, I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop going to AA. And I did. I quit drinking. And it was a little bit before Thanksgiving, 1969, and I, and I, and I didn't drink through the drinking part of the year, the holiday season. That's where every you go, they're pushing a drink your way, and I didn't drink. And the Saturday night after Christmas, she went off to a meeting, and I stayed home, and I thought the situation over. And I figured, you know, if you haven't drank since before Thanksgiving, here it is. The Saturday night after Christmas, and you didn't drink all that time. I guess you were wrong. You're really not an alcoholic after all. 
So I went and bought a half a pint of vodka. And, uh, and I no sooner got it back to the place and drank it. And what the hell did I buy a half pint for? I went and got a fifth. One got another fifth. And I drank all Saturday night, all day Sunday. And I, and I woke up Sunday morning. I closed the bar at 2 a.m. in California. And, and I woke up Monday morning, 10 o'clock. Mary and L.A. don't work. But you have to go in on Monday. You have to go in on Monday. If you don't go in on Monday, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> I learned that right here in the right? <laughs> And so I went in, but I was sick, very, very sick. And, uh, and so I went to the bar a little early that day. And I ordered the Bloody Mary, because that's what you order when you're sick. It's not a medic, it's a, it's really, it's not a social drink of any kind. It's, it's medicine. What it is. And I ordered a glass of medicine. The guy made the drink, and I drank it straight down. And it, man, put the fire out. You know, make me another one. And I looked down, and I spilled half of it all over my tie. So I went to the restroom and tried to clean the tomato juice off my tie. And I came back to the bar. He said, "Did you want another Bloody Mary, and, or did you want a martini?" And I said, "I'll just skip it." I went over to the coffee shop section of that bar and I had a sandwich and a glass of milk and I haven't had a drink since. And uh, it's been a little over 25 years now. I must have heard something at those meetings, (laughs) after all. And I believe it's what Clifford said earlier, you know, that don't thank, you know, don't clap for me. You're clapping for the program, the power in this program. Because I haven't had, I haven't even been tempted to take a drink. I, sometimes, you know, I'll go to, once in a while, I'll go to a nice restaurant. And, you know, and, and I I'll look over at the table next to us and, and there'll be a well-dressed couple there. And they're celebrating something. You know, and they'll have martinis. And they're clicking their glasses in a toast. And, and see the olive right in there. Right, right through the glass, you know. And see a little moisture melting down the side of the glass. You know? See the pimento in the olive. And sometimes that looks good to me. Sometimes, you know. After all these years, sometimes that still looks good to me. I, I can't believe it. You know, and I just have to, you know, I just snap out, you know, come out of the trance, you know, and, uh, and I say, you know, you had your share. You know. <laughs> drank 30 years, you drank 60 years worth, and 30, you know, you had your quota, and, uh, and I don't think about it anymore, but, but, uh, you know, that's how sick I still am. I'm, I'm not cured of alcoholism, you know. And uh, I've said a lot of times that, you know, when I die, I think what I'm going to do is leave my brain to science. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, when I, then they can study my, you know, they can study my brain. You know, they'll put it under a microscope and look at oh yeah there see that right there that's why you know and uh, and they'll study it and then they'll put the brain into the <laughs> and when that brain hits that alcohol if you put your ear down there there you'll, you'll hear it say ah <laughs> <laughs> But until that time, I don't plan to have a drink. And, uh, I, uh, and so, you know, I, I didn't have a sponsor, and I drifted, I hated AA, and, and I went back to AA, and uh, only this time for myself, and, and uh, sitting in these AA meetings and feeling anger. You know, after about two weeks of sitting in the meeting, you know, and, and I kind of shook myself, and I realized what was going on and anger said I had just completed 30 years of drinking 
and I've got this rotten wife and two of the worst kids I could possibly imagine and pressure job and I owe money. I owe money to everybody. It's all past due and now I can't even drink. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing to do if you don't drink. You know, I can go to work on time, I'll get home on time, I'll have dinner on time, and I'll go to a meeting on time and get home on time, go to bed at a reasonable hour, get up in the morning on time, go to work. And a never-ending gray tunnel for the rest of my life. You can never go to a decent restaurant ever again. Can't go anywhere where they serve liquor. I'm stuck at Denny's for the rest of my life. <laughs> and you know what happens if you go into a nice restaurant? What do they want to know? What's the first thing they want to know? The very first thing they want to know is, would you like a cocktail before dinner? And you can't say to them, well, yeah, I'd like one, but. <laughs> See, I've got this disease, and it's of a two-fold nature. It's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. If I take even one drink, I can't predict my behavior. If it wasn't for that, I sure have to. think you had to explain all that stuff. I used to spend about 90% of my day back then explaining things. If I was standing on the street corner and somebody walked up, I'd start explaining what I was doing. I had no self-worth at all. None. None. And, uh, and uh, that's one of the things I've been working on for the past several years. Try to stop explaining. It's hard. It's hard not to explain. And, uh, but I, I get through several days sometimes. Sometimes I go three or four days without explaining anything. And, but I always catch myself explaining something to somebody. I always start from the day I was born. Bring you up to date, all the pros and cons and ramifications. I want you to understand. And, and, uh, then I, and I catch myself. Right in mid-explanation. And I stop. I don't know if there's any explainers out there tonight. But I want to tell you something. I got bad news for you. They never ever notice the difference when you stop. It turns out that no one's listening. No one's listening to your explanation. No one gives a damn, you know, why you haven't done something you were supposed to do in the first place. And I'm just trying to quit altogether. And, uh, and I got a sponsor, and I had about five or six months when I got a sponsor. And uh, I went to him, and um, he said he would sponsor me, but he expected me to go to some of the meetings that, that he would like to see me in person, not to not just talk on telephone. And uh, so I went to this meeting, Pacific Group in Los Angeles, and uh, we had about 200, 250 people at that time. And, uh, they, the format of that meeting is two ten-minute speakers, then they have a coffee break, and then they have a main speaker. And they pick the ten-minute speakers on the way in. You never know when you're going to be tagged. And, uh, and about the second or third time I went to that meeting, the secretary stands at the door and he said, Thank you, the second ten-minute speaker tonight. <laughs> I said, Wait a minute. I, I said, I'm new. And he said, that's okay. Tell me start with And I said, no, it's not all right. I, I said, I just had the worst day of my entire life. And I said, I couldn't possibly share anything with anybody. And he said, that's okay. And I said, no, you don't seem to understand. And he says, what are you saying? You pass? I said, that's it. I passed. And I says, catch me in about six months, I'll be happy to go. He says, at this meeting, he says, we consider that when we ask you to do something, we consider that an AA request. 
and you never ever turn down an AA request. And I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. you know? <laughs> he says, why don't you just go in and sit down and enjoy the meeting? And he says, uh, but one, maybe next Tuesday night you might want to find another meeting to go to. <laughs> and somewhere where you can be a spectator. He said, there's a lot of meetings that you can go to that where you can just be a spectator. And I have found that to be true. I've gone to AA for a lot of years now, and I've asked people, you know, to uh, uh, read chapter five or something, you know. <laughs> I don't read. <laughs> so I think, well, you know, no, I just don't feel well tonight. I don't feel like I should tonight, you know. Well, who cares how you feel about it? You just read anyhow, you know. But that's the way I respond to it. And so, anyway, that guy said, you know, I'll go to another meeting next week, and and I said, oh, all right, I'll talk, you know. And, uh, and so, I don't know who the first ten-minute speaker was. It could have been a two-headed man. Yeah. But, but, you know, I during that, I didn't have time to prepare my talk. Yeah. Had I known a week or two ahead of time, I could have went to the, you know, got the big book out and and wrote, written down some of those great lines in there and laid them on you, you know. And so I didn't have time to prepare. And so when they called my name, I just stood up in front of the microphone and said, my name's Hank Johnson, I'm an alcoholic, and I hate AA. <laughs> I told, you know, I didn't have time to rehearse, I just told the truth. <laughs> uh, as I hit AA, I thought I'm having trouble staying sober. I don't know how much longer I'd be able to hang in here. I don't have trouble with my wife and kids and money and all that stuff. I don't know, I just whined for, for 10 minutes. And, you know, uh, now I sponsor some guys and we go out dining and whining now. <laughs> I eat while they whine, you know? And, uh, but I just whine for about 10 minutes. And, and uh, we got through, and I sat down. They all clapped, you know? It great, you know? And, uh, and then the miracle they had for me. The miracle happened that night. Because you see, I got, I got acceptance from 250 people, total acceptance, unconditional love from 250 people. It's overwhelming. I've never been as high in my life as I was that night. And, uh, uh, and that's when I got, that's when I joined AA. I was sober up until, you know, dry up until that time. And I've had about six months of sobriety at that but that's when AA happened to me. And to the best of my knowledge, I have never turned an AA approach down since then, you know. And, uh, and I've been, uh, and I've had a marvelous life, a wonderful life. My wife died of cancer, and she had 16 years of survival. We both had the same amount of time, and Cliff and Pat knew her well. And, uh, uh, when she passed away, it was a terrible thing, you know. But, uh, I, I, I don't have to stand up here and feel guilty because, you see, uh, our house was in order. You know, everything that needed to be said between her and I had long been said. And when she died, well, uh, I, I don't have to say, do you? If only I would have said this. I wish I would have gotten out of here. I don't have those feelings. It was just terrible then when she died. And, uh, uh, but then now what I can do, this was nine years ago. Now I can I can say to myself, you know, like, like it's not too, you know, tragic thing. And uh, and I've got a choice now. I can play the victim. Poor old, poor old Hank. Life died of cancer. It's, you know, terrible thing. People invite me over to dinner, maybe, and feel sorry for me. And all that, you know, and uh, a lot of people. Well, a lot of people did that, in fact, and, and or I could choose to live, and I made that decision. I'm 
making a decision to live. You know, I can go crazy wondering what God's will is. You know, sometimes I say, well, it's God's will. She died of cancer. Well, I don't quite agree with that. You know, I think she smoked too many cigarettes. Uh, uh, but in any event, whatever it is, you know, I'm not, I can absolutely drive myself crazy wondering what God's will is. And what I've learned now is just to accept Accept God's will. Just accept it. And I don't, I'm not a very spiritual guy anymore in the sense that I don't, I don't say a lot of prayers. Uh, I, my prayer in the morning is that I ask God for another day of sobriety. And then I ask, what's next? And I go through the day doing the next indicated thing all day long. And if I go through the day all day doing the next indicated thing, not postponing anything until tomorrow. When I lay my head on the pillow that night, I feel spiritual. And there's something about this action part of the program. And I know there's two camps. There's a, uh, and I, I'm from the action part. And I have nothing at all against prayer. My God, I, you know, I, I pray myself, you know. But um, it's just the people that depend entirely saying these words, it's almost like wishful thinking they're doing. And also people that quote the big book all the time. You know, and they can tell you what's on every page and the, and the third line from the bottom and all that kind of stuff. And that's all great. It's all great that they can memorize the book. I can't. Maybe that's why I, I kind of uh, rationalize it. Uh, you know, on every single page in the big book, it's got some kind of action they're talking about. And that's what I have been taught in my sobriety, to key in on that action. You know, I, uh, one, one Monday morning, I called my sponsor and I said, you know, when I was new, and I, and I said, I'm just not going to be able to go to all these meetings you want me to go to. I said, I've got some deep, dark psychological problems. And I said, I'm going to call a good therapist, and I'm going to start making some appointments, and we're going to kind of get to the bottom of this, what it is. I, I have no idea what's wrong with me, but I said, there's something, and I'm going to have to uh, make some appointments, and I'm not going to be able to go to all these meetings. He says, where are you? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he sponsored Cliff's uh, sponsor, you know, and uh, and so, but he says, where are you? And I said, I'm at home. And he says, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And I've already been at work for a couple hours. He says, there's nothing psychologically wrong with you today. You're just not where you're supposed to be. And he says, get to the office. He says, you'll be a little bit embarrassed when you get there. But he says, in, a minute, in five minutes, you you know, then embarrassment will go away. And he said, and call me. And uh, I did that. And I was embarrassed when I came in late. And, uh, and, I, and a few minutes later, it was all right. And, and I called him. I said, you're right. And it turns out that I don't have any deep, dark psychological problems. <laughs> I'm just lazy. <laughs> and I don't want to do this stuff. You know? I don't want to take the trouble of doing steps and taking all these actions and doing all this stuff. I want you, I want you to do it <laughs> for me and explain it to me. <laughs> And be nice to me while you're doing it. And love me anyhow. Yeah. And I don't want to do any of this stuff. I just want to fantasize about doing it. And I don't want to actually take, you know, really do it. You know, take a fourth step. My gosh, are you kidding? And, you know, and I, but I've had to do that. And I haven't, you know, and I was very insincere about taking these steps. My sponsor did not want to debate what the steps really meant, you know. <laughs> he just wanted me to do them. And, uh, uh, and he's not interested in the mysterious, uh, hidden meanings of all these things. And, uh, and I, you know, 
in Orlando. I went to Orlando, Florida last year and they had a book study there. And this young woman was given a reputation on the big book, you know. And she said, you know, this book is written in code. <laughs> well, it's full of mysterious things. And you have to study this very closely. Well, I, you know, I'm from the school, you just do what it says. And there is no hidden meaning as far as I'm concerned. And about the only time I steal the line from, from, uh, speaker Don G. Uh, and he said, about the only time you get mixed up on these steps is if you attend the 12-step study group on a regular basis. <laughs> and he, naturally, that's a little sarcastic, but you know, there's some truth in that. And we can sit around and talk about this stuff for hour after hour after hour. And, and nothing gets done. And, uh, and we just talk about it. And I'm glad that I was uh, got sober in the action group. And uh, Linda and I started a group in Charlotte, and it's based on the Pacific Group in Los Angeles. In fact, so much so that we borrowed part of the name. We call it the Southern Pacific Group. Kind of, kind of an original thing. And, and uh, we have a format there, a speaker meeting. We have two ten-minute speakers, a coffee break, and a main speaker. And sometimes people don't want to speak. <laughs> and I tell them, well, maybe you better find another room. <laughs> Some place where there's spectators, you know, where you can be a spectator and sit among spectators and uh, not have to do this. But if you want to come to this meeting, well, we expect you to get into action. And, uh, we, uh, and, well, our meeting is starting to catch on. It's exciting. Sometimes exasperated, but but it's, it's fun, really, to get right down to it. And my life has never been better. And I was asked to talk in, in Charlotte here uh, about five years ago now. Talk at the Fun Fest, they call it, on December. And I went there and, and, um, and I talked, and I met Linda. And I had met Linda several years before that in Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, it seems that she had gotten sober in Waukesha, uh, and uh, a friend of mine that I got sober with in Los Angeles uh, moved back home to Waukesha when he had five years of sobriety. Got sober in the Pacific Group together, and uh, uh, he started a group, started this group, and uh, and Linda went to that group, and and, and so. When I went to the Fun Fest, I spoke there and met her. She had moved down to Charlotte from Wisconsin. And, and we had a lot in common. And we had a lot of mutual friends. And, and uh, she called me on my birthday. It was nice of her. And so I called her on her birthday. And uh, she has the same birthday as Cliff, only a few years different. But <laughs> January 13th. And, uh, um, and so one thing led to another, and I said, one of these days I'm coming by, you know, and by the get shop and go to dinner, you know. And so I, uh, it wasn't very far out of my way, it was just about 1,200 miles. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I dropped by, checked Linda out, and uh, long story, we, we got married about a year and a half ago. And uh, and we're, we're doing great. And we got to go to London. We got to go to Paris, and it was exciting. And you know, I should be sitting in, in, on a porch somewhere, rocking and you know, smoking a corn cob pipe or something. <laughs> uh, I should be standing in front of the VA hospital if I was still alive with a brown paper bag and some wine in it. You know, that's what I should. get. And I had an exciting life. My son used to look at me so funny back in those days. You know, uh, the reason he was looking at me so funny is he was stoned out of his door. <laughs> <laughs> it it turn, turns out that he's got a problem with alcohol and, and drugs, too. And he turned himself into AA when he was 21 years old. 
and tomorrow on May 27th, yeah, 22 years. And, uh, Successful men, successful businessmen. And uh, uh, my daughter's son, he turned himself in when he was 18. He's got 10 years of sobriety. And we all three of us used to go every Wednesday night to the Pacific Group in Los Angeles and celebrate our sobriety together every Wednesday night. Sometimes they say there's no big deal to AA, but they're wrong. That's a big deal. In fact, five years ago, we were up in Seattle together. And there was 46,000 people sitting in that place, in that stadium. And little June, who knew since she came into AA, was a speaker. And but I was sitting there, with, and my son was sitting on my right, and his wife on next to him. My grandson was sitting on my left and his then AA fiance and since married and since gotten divorced. <laughs> uh, but the five of us were sitting there when we were right along a passageway and between the five of us we knew everybody there. It just was amazing. I'm telling you, just people were coming by and we just knew everybody. You know. And June stood up to speak and and I can't remember anything that she said at all. I don't know, you know. And all I know is I had a spiritual experience sitting there. You know, the oneness, 46,000 people, and we're all there for the same thing. It's just, you know, and I, I just got goosebumps and I, I just felt it. And, uh, and I'm just looking, really looking forward to the international in San Diego. And my son's coming down there and and uh so I don't know much more to tell you uh about AA. It's just uh, I don't know anything about AA. I I know how it works for me. I know my journey what I've had to do. And I'm not an expert in AA. Besides you know what an expert is, don't you? An expert's the guy that, that knows a hundred different ways of making love. And doesn't even have a girlfriend. <laughs> they know everything. They go to school and they get degrees in alcoholism, you know. Yeah. And they know everything. And everything they tell us is absolutely true. You can bank on it. It's, it's good information. You know, except that I can't take it from them. See, what... For me, it's one alcoholic sharing with another alcoholic for fun and for free, you know, and no, no charges, you know, no money involved, and uh, that's how I got sober, and uh, and uh, and I like that. And, uh, I uh, so the only thing I know, absolutely for sure, is what happened to me in that first meeting I ever went to, and. It's, uh, it's just this. But this really is, turns out to be a spiritual program. You know? And I know that I found God when I walked through the door. <laughs> and it's the lights in the eyes of the people that just turn me on and keep me coming back. Thank you very much.